right. Well, good morning, everybody. If you're watching or listening out there in, in audio and video land, uh, you've missed it this morning. Everyone's giving me a hard time because we actually have a prop this morning. Some of you may recognize, recognize this back in the day from your junior high or elementary school days. It's a globe of the world, right? Some people thought I was going to throw it at them and sermon if they fell asleep, but I'm not. But it's a globe of the world. And what I want you to realize as you see this is that every place on this world, all the people on this world, there is a battle going on for this world. And for every individual and every country in this world, there is an agenda. Actually, there's two agendas. There's one from God and there's one from the devil. So we are starting a new series this morning called uh, The Battle of the World. And in 1938, Orson Welles did a radio program uh, around Halloween about aliens invading the world. And at that time, you gotta remember, there really wasn't a lot of TV or anything, so people tuned in the radio. And he was so compelling in his radio broadcast that people actually believed we were being invaded. Well, after the, uh, the Halloween program of the radio station, the newspapers were filled with scathing complaints that a radio station would allow such a real broadcast to take place because people had just literally panicked and thought aliens were invading. Well, it was a fake story, but the media co coverage was huge. Truth is, there is a very real invasion for our world, isn't there? But truth is also to the point that there is very little media coverage about that invasion that we hear about because it's spiritual. There's a spiritual invasion for our world that is going on as we speak. And it's unique for us to talk about this in our new series because most often during our, our history as a church, we haven't dealt with this issue, but we are gonna deal with it now. You see, God has an agenda for every nation and for every person and every country on this, on this planet. His agenda is compassion, love, and restoration. In contrast, Satan also has an agenda for every nation and how they function or fall apart, for every country, for every single man, woman, and child that lives here. His agenda, as John 10, 10 states, is to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to take anything that is good, anything that is from God, and destroy it and corrupt it. And it's going on all around us. And it's actually a huge battle, but we don't see it with our eyes. In Acts chapters 1 to 5, when you read about the, uh, the early church and Pentecost is going on there, we see that Jesus is ushering in his spiritual army of Christians, being you and I. In John 10, 10, we read about the battle, as we shared before, that the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that what? We might have life and have it abundantly. God's agenda for the world isn't just giving the world peace from sin and shame and guilt. It's about completely removing the damage that the devil's done. It's about giving us a new life, that our old life was so corrupt and bound in sin that we couldn't just renovate it and restore it, we needed a new life, brand spanking new. And this new life is completely free in grace and it's ongoing in forgiveness. But Satan, on the other hand, in this war comes to shame us. He comes to divide churches, 
to divide families. He comes to create hurt and wounds. He brings bad times. But God does all the way with all that and gives us new life. What Satan does is what we would call diabolical. Now, we don't talk about that word a whole lot, but the definition of being diabolical is something extremely wicked or evil. And Satan's destruction that goes on of God's world is completely, utterly wicked, evil, and cruel. And this battle is going on all around us, everywhere. Now, we know the big battles. We, we can recognize those from history, right? The Holocaust with the Jewish people, that was diabolical. The Bosnian War, things like child slavery and the sex trade, the betrayal and lives of a loved one, murderers and serial killers, and the list goes on and on and on. We know about the biggies, right? Those are obvious. But here is what's crazy even for Christians. We see these massive injustices done, even today in our nation. We see it, we hear it on the news, we read about it, and we put it aside like an unwanted meal. An annoying sound, we just tune it out, don't we? I mean, there are tragedies going on all around us, and yet our lives go on unfazed, right? Doesn't even seem to bother us. I mean, we hear about massive killings across the oceans or something, and we're like, huh. Well, did you hear the story after that about uh, the balloon festival down in Provo? We hear about these tragedies and just go on and just tune them out like a bad sound. James 1.17 tells us that every good thing comes from God, from the Father of Heaven. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelation 12 tells us about Satan, who was originally named what? Lucifer. And his fall from heaven simply because of his pride. Lucifer was called the star of the morning. He was chief of the cherubs, and he is listed as the most beautiful of all angels. And in that, instead of enjoying the goodness that God gave him, he becomes extremely prideful. He's cast out of heaven, and he takes a third of the angels with him. What I want you to realize is that in heaven, when this happened, there was actually a real battle, a massive battle between two-thirds of the angels of heaven and one-third as Satan was cast out. And that battle still rages today, but it's spiritual. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. In Genesis 3, we read of the first initial battle in this war. Remember that one? There's Adam, there's Eve, their imperfection, everything's great. <laughs> you know it's great because they were naked and what? Unashamed. I can't do that anymore, right? But they were in complete perfection, and the devil takes the form of a serpent and deceives Eve, tempts her, and destroys what God had made. From Genesis 3, that battle has been going on ever since. Ephesians 6 goes on to tell us about, actually commands us that we are to put on something on a regular basis. Do you know what we're to put on? Spiritual armor. God calls us to put on the spiritual armor to protect, our, protect ourselves from lies, condemnations, and attacks of the devil. 
the attacks on our feelings, our mind. But how often do we really do that? How often do we get up every day and say, you know what, <laughs> today's gonna be a battle and I need to equip myself. I need to go back to Ephesians 6, read about the spiritual armor and pray and equip myself in spiritual armor for today's battle that I would be unwounded. Again, just like the atrocities that are going in the world that we push aside like a bad meal or a bad burrito, God calls us to put on spiritual armor, and most often we don't do it, do we? I mean, not consciously. We read about it, we may study and do a Bible study on it, but we don't consciously think of, God, equip me today in your heavenly armor. Equip me for the battle that I will face today because, as the old Sunday school song says, I'm in the Lord's army, and I go to battle today. You see, the battle that we're gonna look at, this first part of our series, is interesting because Satan deceives us like he did Eve. The battles that we face are often seen against other people, right? Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. Can you believe what that person did? We often take and perceive the battle as the other person. Do you know that's not the battle? That person is a creation of God. That person, that other individual, that just rubs you the wrong way sometimes is not the issue. The issue is Satan is using them in a spiritual way to distract you and I from the real battle. It's like the great illusionist. Do you ever see David Copperfield or something when he does his, his stuff? You know, he's doing something over here, but he's like, looky here, looky here, looky here. And when we look that way, we miss the intricacies of the illusion. And we're like, whoa, how did that happen? That's what Satan does in this first section of our series on the battle for the war of the world is he likes to deceive you and I like he deceived Eve. He's like, I want to deceive you and make you mad, make you have feelings about that other person and how terrible they are. And I want you to think about what you'd like to do to them. When in reality, that other person was God created, is God created, is blessed by God, is alive by God, and God wants to bring them salvation and work in their life. God wants to unify them with us. But we often perceive that person as the problem, right? Those people at work, those people at home, those people in our families, they're the problem. If they were only out of the picture, life would be good. Well, here's the reality. Satan would just put another person in your life to make it miserable because it distracts us from fighting the spiritual battle. 1 Peter 5.8, if you want to look at that with me, then we'll be in 2 Corinthians 2. 1 Peter 5.8-9 tells us something very alarming and very real about this spiritual battle that's going on all around us all the time. Verse 8, the first thing that we read that Peter tells us is this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. It's a warning, it's a battle cry. It's like, be aware, be conscious, know what's going on. You know, Christy and I have been going through a little thing with Justin, he's got these little survival books and little videos and they're about how to protect yourself. And one of the first things that they talk about is be aware of your surroundings. Know what's going on around you. The people, the places, 
And so Peter tells us, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Then we have a command on how to fight against him in this battle. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are all over the world. These are battle verses, aren't they? Peter is warning us as God moves through him that there is a war going on, a fight. And Peter says, you as God's soldiers, you as God's ambassadors need to fight this battle. So the first thing is you need to be aware that the battle's going on. You can't just write it off or drown it out or ignore it. You need to be aware there is a battle raging. Second, he says, you need to resist the devil. In other words, when he tempts you and I, when he tries to distract you and I, when he tries to fool you into thinking that the battle, the enemy, is the person instead of a spiritual issue, Peter says, stand firm in your faith. In other words, go back to your faith. It's all about faith. Active, living faith in God who fights for you. And he says, stand firm in that. And he says, just realize this, because oftentimes when we think the person is the problem, we think we're the only ones in the world suffering and going through this, right? Haven't you ever noticed that when you're in a relational spat? That you're like, oh my gosh, other people don't struggle like I struggle. Other people don't feel like I feel. They don't have to go through this stuff like I do. Do you realize that's also part of the deception? First, the deception is to think the person is the problem. Second deception is to think you are the only one struggling and suffering this much. And Peter says, put that aside. Put that aside. We need to realize that Satan's key attack is to distract us from a real issue. And we need to fight the real issue. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 8 to 11, Paul addresses the church. And he writes this. He says, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for Jesus. In other words, you came to salvation because I want you to keep the relationship alive, to reaffirm your love for Jesus. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But the one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Did you catch that last part of the verse? so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. Why? Because we are not ignorant of his schemes. Peter says to be on the alert. Be aware. Stand firm in your faith. Paul says, spiritually, in a spiritual battle, you can't afford to be ignorant because Satan will take advantage of you. But you're not going to be ignorant. Therefore, Satan can't do anything to you. It's instructions for the church. Don't be ignorant. Don't avoid the issue. Now in this series, I want to just clarify a couple things as we get into it. 
One, we're not talking about the boogeyman around every corner. You know, some Christians freak out and talk about that. Oh, there's a demon over there. There's a demon over there. There's another demon. You know, we got flat tire demons. We got spilled coffee demons. And worst of all, we got bad breath demons. Right? Amen. Amen. Some people are seeing demons everywhere. And that's not the case. And that's not what we're talking about. But on the other hand, we're not ignoring the issue either. There are Christians that are like, God is with me. There's really no battle. It's all good. When the Bible clearly tells us that trials and temptations will come, Peter says to be on the alert. Paul says don't be ignorant of this issue. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the spiritual armor. We're not going to ignore the issue either. We're not going to extremes. C.S. Lewis, that great author, after he came to Christendom, wrote that there are two errors that Christians make when they talk about Satan or the devil. One is to take take think too much of him and the other is to think too little of him in other words c.s lewis is kind of putting it clearly that don't go to extremes there's a demon in everywhere there's a devil everywhere but on the other hand don't be ignorant and think there's no issue going on in your spiritual life there's consequences to our decisions we need to realize the world is broken right People are broken. We are born in a sin, and only when we get new life do we come to salvation, but we still struggle. We, for some six to ten decades, live in a broken world. You ever use broken stuff? It still kind of functions right, but not like it should. You know what? That's us. That's us. We are broken. The world is broken, other people are broken, and that's where in faith God's grace comes in. That's where in faith Satan tries to divert us to make us think that everybody else or certain people are more broken than we are. And God's grace comes in and says, you are broken and I came for you. They are broken and I wanna come for them. I don't want you to be against each other as the Bible says, a house divided will not stand. God says, I don't want you to be against each other. I want you to be unified because there is one Lord, one Savior, one church, one God, and you're unified in him. But Satan comes in to corrupt that once again by distracting us that the battle is with the other people, right? And then once we get distracted and think the battle's the other person, then we have the follow-up that Satan deceives us. And it's like, man, nobody goes through what I go through. Nobody's had to endure what I have to endure. Where Peter and Paul say, everybody's going through it. Don't you realize that? It's the same tricks of the devil in the spiritual battle to deceive everyone and then to isolate you by making you feel bad. You feel down about yourself to focus in on you and your feelings and how rough and horrible life is and how bad those people are. You see, when we do that, our focus is on us, our focus is on other people, and it's not where? It's not on God. And that's where the deception is. So to fight the spiritual battle, we need to be aware of it. And if you haven't picked it up yet, we need to realize that other people are not the issue. 
when you and I are in a battle with another person, we need to stop and realize, hey, Satan's deceiving me right now, and I'm buying into it. No matter what that person does or says, I need to stop, check my own personal spiritual armor, and I need to fight this battle in prayer and pray for my attitude and pray for that person. Because we are both created by God. We are both loved by God. And God wants salvation for both of us. I need to stop and check myself and realize the battle right now is spiritual and Satan is deceiving me to distract me. And I'm buying into it. We also need to realize what it is that Satan does. Well, God hates what Satan does. So let's look at what happens, what God hates in this battle. Psalms 5, 6 tells us that God hates a person of bloodshed and deceit. Bloodshed and deceit. In other words, a person who purposely tries to wound other people and a person who acts in Satan's image by deceiving and being deceitful and lying. Deuteronomy 16.22 tells us that God hates any idol that is set up before him. In other words, when we put something in front of God, God hates that. When Satan deceives us in a spiritual battle, we put ourselves and others in front of God because we're not looking at God. We're looking at them and we're looking at us. And the Bible tells us that God hates that. Proverbs 6.16-19 6, is good insight. It says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Those are the things that Satan does to destroy relationships. You see, Satan's whole goal in us is as God says, I want to unite you as family. Remember the old, uh, you know, the old song? We are family, right? I got all the brothers in me. That's kind of what God's saying. We are, as a church, a family of believers. We are to uphold and encourage and bless each other and pray for our enemies and preach the gospel to them. And Satan comes in and says, I'm going to rip your family apart. I'm going to devise you against each other. I'm going to distract you so you don't see the real battle. It's great military tactics. Isn't that what people do in war? They try and distract the opposing side by making them think they're attacking over here. So they send all their forces there, when all the while, the army's really attacking here from behind, but they don't see it coming. That's what Satan tries to do. Distract us from the real battle. Because then he can attack us, attack us from behind because we're unaware. We're distracted looking over here while he's attacking from here and devising us and splitting us apart. Proverbs 3 is a good chapter to read because it tells us how to stay in godliness. C.S. Lewis once again wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters which kind of sets up this spiritual warfare. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters it's about a senior demon teaching a younger demon 
how to mess with God's people. And it's interesting because the senior demon training the younger demon tells him, he goes, don't fight those Christians head on. In other words, I could probably poll a thousand Christians in church today and no one would ever say, yeah, just yesterday this, I was sitting there doing this and this guy in a red jumpsuit with a tail and a forked tongue came up and said, you will lie, you will do this. Nobody sees that. Because Satan doesn't fight us per se head on. So this older demon instructs the younger demon. He says, don't fight the Christians head on, but instead distract them from the real issue. He says, get their feelings hurt. That's a biggie. Because when they feel sorry for themselves, when they feel down or hurt or wounded, they don't focus on God. So get them distracted in their feelings with jealousy and hurt feelings with wrong opinions and beliefs about other people, planting untruthful thoughts in their minds, and never let them address and face the real issue. It's all about distraction. The, the older demon instructs the younger demon like we've talked before. He says, get them to ignore the issue that there is a real battle going on that there is a real devil and demons. Get them to ignore the truth, distract them from the truth of a relationship with God. Get them to focus on how others have wronged and lied to them. But at all costs, keep them distracted from the real issues. Do you know that 90 to 99% of the battles that we face are in our mind? with incorrect opinions and beliefs about other people, with incorrect feelings about other people, it all starts in the mind. And then as we feed that and keep focus on it, it continues to grow until it's played out in some horrible way. Again, we need to recognize the battle is not against the individuals we face. The battle is spiritual. Turn with me to Acts 6, 1 to 7. We want to see how this plays out in the New Testament. Beautiful story of a spiritual battle going on in the early church. And even more beautiful is how the apostles handled it. Acts 6, 1 to 7, we read this. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, right? While the disciples were increasing in, in number, a complaint, oh no, dare say, mumbling, grumbling, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews that the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 disciples summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now hold on to that verse because that's key. It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word this statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon Parnaeus and Nicholas 
a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on these men. Here's the beauty of a battle won. The word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So let's stop there. So what's our scene here? Well, they're in Jerusalem. God is empowering them with the Spirit. They are sharing the gospel. They are devoted to ministry. They are preaching the word. And the church is growing exponentially. It's awesome. It's great. It's wonderful. This is exciting times, right? And the devil doesn't like it. So how does the devil infiltrate and try to destroy this church? What was the one thing that the Bible tells us in Acts 6 that came about as the church was going? A complaint. I don't like this. You should be doing something else. The spiritual battle was a complaint, and that was a spiritual battle because I would say if everyone's mind was not deceived in this, instead of complaining to the disciples that there was a need, there was a real issue going on, what would these Hellenistic Jews have done? They would have met the need. They would have taken care of it themselves. They would have jumped in and said, hey, the church is growing, this is awesome, it's fantastic. Oh my goodness, our widows are being overlooked. My gosh, we have the ability to fix that and help that. Let's go take care of it because God has blessed us and made us aware of a need, so we need to go fix that. But that isn't what happened, is it? Satan comes in and deceives these Hellenistic Jews, and instead of doing something, acting in their godly nature, in which God has equipped them and given them resources to meet this need, what do they do? They complain. It's not fair. It's not right. In essence, these Hellenistic Jews came to the disciples and said, you guys are prejudiced. You are bigots. You are favoring your widows and you're leaving us. It's not fair. It's not right. Well, what we got to realize here is that the church is exponentially growing. There are, people are giving and donating and blessing. And there's tremendous ministry going on and the gospel's being preached and fantastic prayer rallies and praise and worship rallies. But whenever something is growing that fast, there are weak points in that ministry, right? There are things that pop up that nobody's aware of until they actually appear, right? Some stuff you just can't see coming. You don't know there's a need there until it actually pops up. So as this church is growing and, and people are giving and the disciples are directing people to, to share and to meet those needs, there's one group of widows that accidentally are being overlooked. It's not intentional. It's just a symptom of a massively growing church that you can't know every need until it shows up. And these Hellenistic Jews are deceived by Satan, and rather than doing something to meet the need, using the resources that God has blessed them to help these widows, and then they go to the disciples and say, hey, by the way, boys, did you know these widows have been struggling, but praise God, God enabled us to fix it and help it. Just be aware, there's a need over here that we got to look out because there may be other needs like that too as we grow as a church. Instead, they just complain. Well, you're overlooking us. You guys think you're all this and that and special. 
Now, if the disciples would have bitten in to this deception, do you know what the response would have been? Well, who are you to tell us what to do? We came to Christ first. We're his first chosen. You guys came afterwards. Do you see the blame going on? First, the complaint, you guys are doing something wrong. If those guys, the disciples, bought into the deception, they would have just turned back around and blamed the other people. Oh, yeah? Well, what about you? Well, we know this about you. Thank God that's not what happens. The Hellenistic Jews buy in to the spiritual deception that is going around them while God is blessing the church and growing. And they don't do their God-given ability to meet the need. They complain. They don't like it. It's not fair. It's not right. You're prejudiced. You're better than that. And fortunately, the disciples are steeped in godliness. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to ministry. And they come back. And here's kind of in a modern language what they do. Oh my goodness, you were right. There is an issue here. These women are being overlooked. This is a tragedy. We've got to take care of this. But they realize their place in God as well. You see, as Satan is trying to distract the Hellenistic Jews, to distract the disciples, one thing he's trying to get them to not do is to preach and teach the word and to pray, right? To keep them from godliness. So the disciples realize this, and they're like, look, there is a real need here. There's an issue. We've got to take care of it because God has blessed us. We've got to deal with this. But our ministry, our God-called ministry, is to pray and to teach the Bible, and that is so important that we can't do that, meet that need ourselves. So let's do this. We want you to pick seven Hellenistic godly men because they have a real concern for the people of their own culture. We want you to pick seven Hellenistic godly men who have a heart for these women and their culture, and we want them to serve them. And everyone goes, oh, that's a great idea. Problem solved. And they pray over who these godly men should be. They bring them in, they lay hands on them, they bless them, and they send them forth into ministry, and the disciples continue preaching and teaching and praying, and you know what the result is of a battle won? The church continues to grow, has God's favor on it, and not only that, oh my goodness, some of the priests start coming to salvation, the religious leaders. Do you see here what's going on? You see in Acts 6 how Satan is trying to deceive in multiple ways? Do you see how his attacks are subtle? Get them to complain. Get them to look inward at their own widows, their own problems. Get them to have feelings about the others that they're purposely shutting them out. Keep them from meeting the need with the resources God has blessed them with seeing the need, and knowing they have the ability to resolve it. God has blessed them with that. He's made them aware of it. And Satan deceives them to complain, to mumble, grumble, to do nothing but speak wrongly. The Bible tells us that the tongue is almost untamable, isn't it? 
and the tongue and how it speaks is like a small flame that sets an entire forest on fire and burns it down. That's what Satan is deceiving these Hellenistic Jews to do. Just complain. Grumble, moan. Don't do anything but complain. And Satan's plan is that when they complain, an argument will ensue. Or, even if an argument doesn't ensue, then we'll get the disciples from doing their God-given ministry and teaching and preaching and praying, and they'll jump in to fix it. God intervenes and it's just beautiful because the problem is solved the congregation is now excited about it the whole church is excited about it which is making them stronger because now they're seeing needs and they're doing ministry and they're together and they're still preaching and teaching and praying and the widow's needs are getting met and they're growing as a church and God is being glorified does it all make sense do you see the picture do you see the spiritual battle going on in the background? Subtle. Just little whisperings in the ears. Hey, this isn't right. Hey, don't do anything but complain. Form a committee. Get those disciples out. But because the disciples are focused on godliness and enacting their faith, they agree there's an issue. They seek godly's way, God's way of handling the issue, and they resolve it, and the church grows. It's a phenomenal story, but it's a very real story of how the spiritual battle is fought in our lives. Let me ask you this as we begin, begin to wrap up. In your world, how often does the devil whisper in your ear, do you know what that person did? Or he whispers something else like, let me put a thought in your mind that is untrue about that other person that you begin to nurture and believe. Let me divide you instead of unite you. Let me take that person at work and just let them irritate you to where you don't pray for them and pray for your attitude, but you just get more and more angry at them. Do you see the deception? Do you see the distraction? Do you see the spiritual battle at work that what God has ordained? Maybe God has put that person in your, in, in your life to show for you to show them grace and God's love and to share the gospel with them and maybe even to lead them to Christ and salvation. But instead, Satan is going, they don't like you. They're against you. You should hate them. Don't pray about it. Just let your anger grow. You see how real it is? When we have issues with other people, they are not the problem. They are not the battle. There is a spiritual battle where we are being distracted. And once again, we need to recognize it and be alert and understand what's going on and stop and stand firm in our faith and pray right then and there. Again, God, help my attitude. Help your love to cover a multitude of sins. Help me to be forgiving and full of grace and understanding and full of your love. And God, bless that other person. Bring them to the fullness of your joy and salvation. 
because you died for them just like you died for me. The battle isn't the person. So what are some practical things that we need to do to win this spiritual war that we so often ignore? We need to know that there is a spiritual battle and what the Bible says about it. We need to purposely put on that spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 every day because we are going to war. We need to be enriched in God's word and prayer. Just like the disciples said to the Hellenistic Jews, oh, there is a need, but this is what God's called us to do. And we believe in faith that God has called other people to meet that, that need. So let's deal with that. Before we speak or set an opinion or attack against another person, we need to listen. Perhaps listen to the other person and pray for God's discernment and wisdom to understand what the real issue is at hand. We need to listen and pray to God and say, God, will you speak into my ear instead of letting me hear Satan speak into my ear, that you speak love and grace and mercy and discernment? We need to pray for wisdom before we shame or blame or point a finger back at the other person. Again, we need to realize the battle is not the person, it's just a distraction. And we need to know that God has equipped and called all of us to win the battle. Paul puts it this way, he says, press forward, press on for the upward call of Jesus Christ, that you may win the prize. God has called us to love unconditionally as he has loved us, to be encouragers, not wrecking balls of mass destruction. We are relationship builders, not relationship destroyers. And here's the last part, which I think is just beautiful. Do you know that we're completely set up for victory as the Holy Spirit fills us? We need to remember as Christians that we are not fighting for the victory, but we're fighting already from the victory. Because as we've said many times before, you read the last book of the Bible, who wins? God wins. We already know how the battle turns out. And we know that Christ comes back in the twinkling of an eye. We are changed and with him for all eternity and perfected. We know how the story ends. So we're not fighting for victory. We're not fighting to, to get God's approval and to, to help God out. We're fighting from victory because God has already won the battle and says, I just need you guys to do a little mass cleanup here. Fix a little damage control. Restore some broken relationships. Speak love to some people's hearts and bring them to me for salvation. We fight from victory, Christians, and that's the greatest thing. Because we, as the Sunday School song says, are in the Lord's army, and our Lord has already won, and he's already equipped us, He's given us the word of God and Peter and Paul to instruct us to keep us alert and aware, to pray. And the Bible clearly tells us that all things in God's will, that if we are in Christ, all things are what? Possible. Even loving that person. Because Christ first loved us. We are fighting from victory. So to close up, be encouraged. Because God is with you. 
God calls you and I to win the spiritual battle, to understand how the battle works, to have faith in him and stand firm, and to be relationship restorers and builders. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we realize there is a really, a very real battle in this world. As your word says, help us to be alert, to be aware, to not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Help us not to be distracted, but help us to focus on you. Like the disciples, to act in love and faith, to meet needs, to, to build relationships, to equip godly people. God, help us to glorify you in this. And again, we give you praise.